Travis Bader, and this is the Silvercore Podcast. Silvercore has been providing its members with the skills and knowledge necessary to be confident and proficient in the outdoors for over 20 years, and we make it easier for people to deepen their connection to the natural world. If you enjoy the positive and educational content we provide, please let others know by sharing, commenting, and following so that you can join in on everything that Silvercore stands for. If you'd like to learn more about becoming a member of the Silvercore Club and community, visit our website at silvercore.ca. This is going to be a fun episode. I'm joined again from Silvercore Podcast, episode number 86, Sachin Lati. Sachin, thank you for coming on back. Really enjoyed our last conversation. Great to see you again. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me back. And it's always a pleasure to come see you and talk to you and especially in this amazing studio. It's legit, <laughs> man. <laughs> I'm going to do things a little differently this time. Sure. Um, I'm going to start off with a couple of asks and these are asks for the audience. There's people watching on YouTube to the people listening in Apple podcasts, Spotify, wh- wherever. Ask number one, suchinlati.com. Uh, suchinmotion.com. Dot com. There, there we go. go. There you go. You need to get suchinlati.com too. I probably should. We'll, we'll, we'll look at that soon. <laughs> <laughs> uh, suchinmotion.com. I'm going to have a link to that in the, in the bio here. Uh, check it out. Support him on his endeavor. Last time we were talking about 2025, the goal to run across Canada and possibly working towards beating the world record on that one. Uh, ask number two would be. If people find value in this podcast, share it, subscribe, help other people learn about what's happening here on the podcast. It's done wonders for Sachin, how he uses social media, how he has his account and other people will share information on their accounts of his journey as he's working towards the cross Canada tour, leaving a comment, leaving a review on Apple podcasts, uh, sharing it on social media. We're one big community and it just makes it bigger. I'm just amazed at how many people are actually listening to this all over the world, Hong Kong, United Emirates, Ireland, UK, US, Canada. It's pretty crazy. And if all of these people take a moment just to click subscribe, share it with others, leave a review, it means a world of a difference and it helps us get the message out for people like Sachin here and what they're doing. So those are my asks. I ask too. <laughs> you know what? I'm, I'm learning. I'm learning. I'm always been shy about that. I, yeah. d- I don't want to put that ask out there, but I think it's important. And a lot of times people don't realize what an impact they can make just at an individual level. Some people can, they can donate to your endeavors or what you're doing, but if they can't donate a simple follow, subscribe, repost, man, that amplifies the message. I agree, man. I think, um. Look, I mean, not everyone has the means to donate and some people don't feel like actually giving money, but they want to take actions over them giving money. So, um, yeah, I mean, share, subscribe, like all these things, um, help us continue doing what we're doing. Mm. It also inspires us further that people are actually, uh, valuing what we do. Mm -hmm. So that's helpful too. So I think if, if people are uh, keen on following things or people that are trying to do, um, do better, mm-hmm. then let's support everyone. You know, it's one of those things that you do it for you, really, at the end of the day, you're doing it for yourself, but you want to take a look at those metrics. Where was I before? 
where is my headspace at? Where's my performance at? Where's my finances at? All these different things. Where am I now? And what is my metric for success that I'm looking at? Am I moving towards, as Earl Nightingale would say, the progressive realization of a worthy ideal? And it means the world when other people are on board, if they don't have the means. And I'm, I'm one of those people who oftentimes people will hit me up for money and they'll say, oh, can you donate? Can you donate to no if it's a cause that I really believe in, I'm going to say, I'd rather donate my time. I'd rather donate my efforts. I'd rather be alongside with you and help you get to where you need. I understand that money is important, but even if that's just sharing something on social media, that, that, that helps, right? Or coming beside you. Like, I wish I was able to be there in Squamish on the day that you're coming <laughs> through and seven, the crew, everyone was down there. That looked amazing. Honestly, man, I, I think... I don't, I got to, not careful, but I should be mindful of how I say this, but I kind of agree with you too. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, obviously donations are, donations are needed and, sure. and super important. Sponsors are, um, helpful, mm -hmm. but I think for me, what I really value is people who are like-minded, who have, who I respect, mm -hmm. um, and who are by my side, uh, or I'm by their side supporting each other as friends. I mean, you can't really beat that, man. You got one life to live. Yeah. When you're all done with it, you can't, you can't take the money with you, right? The money will help you. It's a means to an end. You know, they did a study on money and happiness and I'm sure they've done many of them, but here's one that I, I can recall. And it talked about, uh, money being a motivator for an individual. And they found that if money was provided to somebody who, let's say you're producing a product, you get one token or $1 for each product that you produce. There's a direct correlation between the amount of money you can pay a person and their output. So, Hey, you're getting better performance. You get, you make one widget, you get $1, you do a hundred widgets, you get a hundred dollars, direct correlation. So that they found money was a motivator. Anything outside of that, they found there was a threshold and they said, once you've got food, you've got shelter, you've got clothing, you've got basic necessities, little spending, little folding money in your pocket to go out and have some, have some fun, whatever that might be, uh, money will have an inverse effect on a person's performance. The, the more they paid an individual, the less productive that individual became, especially if it was in a creative sphere. Okay, Sachin, I want you to create this... <laughs> beautiful piece of art. I want you to write a story. I'm going to pay you more and more money. And the more money that the person paid, the more pressure came on and the less the performance actually, uh, thrived. And what a person really needs is that internal desire or burn inside them to, to create or to move towards something that's going to be desirable for them and see money as a natural byproduct of that. You have that burn. You have that desire. Uh, you just came back from running 22 marathons in 22 days. Yeah, I did. <laughs> Holy crow. I, I mean, people, people brag about how I did a marathon last year, yeah, right? Yeah. Uh, and that's a big achievement for a lot of people. For sure. 22 and 22 days. Yeah. Tell me about that. So yeah, man, for sure. Um, a lot of people set goals for themselves and I'm no different. Mm. I, I, I set goals for myself and, um, it's interesting. I, I remember saying on the last podcast, I was, I had some goals and I mentioned some of those goals and one of them was to run a marathon a day 
not for 22 days, but to create myself to a person yep. that could run a marathon a day. Yeah. And I made that commitment or I set that goal about two years ago after hearing Cameron Haynes on a podcast. Mm-hmm. And after I heard him on a podcast talking about how he runs a marathon a day and, you know, explaining his training and whatnot, I was like, holy man, I, w- I want to do that. And it sparked some curiosity in me, man. I didn't even know that was possible. So for me, I didn't know that was humanly possible. Mm. I just, you know, sheltered, didn't really experience these types of things, didn't know it existed, whatever. Mm. And as soon as I realized it was a thing, I was like, okay, um, how do you do that? And I want to figure that out. So I set on a course and a a trajectory to figure that out. And um, August 26th of this year, I finished running 22 marathons in a row. And I was, for me... It was to raise money and awareness for the Honor House Society. It was a charity sort of fundraiser, but also it was something for me. It was something for me to realize that I I could, you know, if I set my mind to something and if I um, put in some effort and um, was consistent and all the things associated to it, I could achieve something uh, I thought was impossible. And for me, I did. So on the onset, 22 and 22 days, did it enter your mind that you might not complete it? No. Did it enter your mind that, uh, you might want to give up? You might get injured. Uh, did you have contingency plans ahead of time? So I, I suspected I'd get injured. I suspected that would, you know, something may happen. There would be obstacles or whatever they were. I suspected these things would happen. I didn't think anything would stop me. I thought things may slow me down. Mm but nothing was going to stop me. It it would have had to have been something absolutely catastrophic for me to stop. And I already framed those things in my mind in advance of kicking off. I really like that. It's not going to stop me. It might slow me down, but I'm getting there nonetheless. You've taken quitting out of the equation. 100%. You've taken failure out of the equation. 100%. Because there's always a way. Mm -hmm. I mean, Terry Fox did it with one leg, right? And it's been done. Sure. I know it's been done a million times. I know tons of people that have done similar types of things. Mm. And, um, so I know it's possible. Now I'm in that space of trying to find savages, Mm -hmm. right? So there are lots of them if you start looking. And as soon as I started looking, I started finding these types of people. And I was like, man, I need to become one of these people. So I need to place myself in the center of that environment and figure it out. And that's kind of what I've been doing. And, um, no, so failure wasn't an option. I was going to finish and, uh, maybe get slowed down, but that was the only thing that was going to really affect the 22 days. Who do you look up to? In which capacity? Well, I, I guess in preparing for the 22 and 22, wanting to surround yourself with savages, there's going to be uh, a physical aspect to that. Mm-hmm. There's going to be a mental aspect to that. Uh, I guess in any capacity, I'll leave sure. it open-ended. Sure, sure. For me, from a physical capacity, I'm not sure if I looked up to uh, people because I think physically I have the capabilities to do just about anything. Mm. Do, I, do I have the mindset to do anything? That's a different question. Mm. So for me, it was, I wanted to surround myself by people who had mindset, who had a mind that I was mm, chasing, not a, not a physique, not a, not a physical capability I was chasing. 
So for me, you know, people like Sean Taylor, mm-hmm. um, people like Seb Lavoie, yeah, you know, just people that are immediately around me. Yeah. But then also from a, from a social media perspective, you know, various different podcasts, you know, like your Cam Haynes and various other types of people that have accomplished really bigger things than even Cameron Haynes. Like, you know, the, I can't remember the fellow's name, but he ran 78 marathons in a row just last summer in, Eng, in England. Whoa. Yeah. So he did that. And I was like, okay, cool. Let me see this guy. So I should start tracking him, see what he's doing, how he's doing it, how he's managing it. And then I thought, well, if he can do that, I can do this easy. Cause it was only 22. <laughs> <laughs> so just framing it differently for me to be, make it more, um, um, you know, what's, what's that saying? You know, how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. There you go. Yeah. So if we break it down into before, during, and after, just cause I'm curious about this, uh, Michael Easter, he would wrote a book called, uh, the comfort crisis and he advocates for people being uncomfortable and that's the road to happiness and satisfaction. And he calls things, um, I guess he uses the Japanese term and I'm probably going to say it wrong, but it's, um, Muskogi, Musogi. Somebody here can, uh, help us out. Yeah. Help us out. <laughs> correct me on that one. But essentially the, the odds of you completing it are about 50, 50. It's gotta be something hard, something really difficult. And you endeavor to put yourself on that and experience those hardships. And there's only two rules. I only remember one of the rules, which is don't die. But, uh, aside from that, there is another rule in there, which somebody can help me out again. But for me, I would think doing 22 marathons in 22 days would be a bit of a, I'm a soul Like I'm not a runner. Mm-hmm. I'm not built as a runner. I hurt myself every time I start running, whether that's knees or I break, um, bones in my feet and I'm carrying too much weight and I, I go too hard, too fast perhaps, or maybe being six, six, 250 pounds. I'm not really the optimal, uh, uh, build for a runner. There's other things I can do phenomenally well. Um, how do you mentally prepare for this? Mm-hmm. Good question. So like anything that you, like anything that you're going to start, obviously you're not going to be good at mm. anything you start, no matter if it's 22 marathons or 5k. If you're new to it, you're new to it and you're not going to be good. Mm. You might have a certain aptitude, but you're still not going to be amazing mm. or f- fantastic. So to put it in a, in a, an example that you may understand, if I go hunting with you tomorrow, I'll suck. <laughs> I've never done it. Sure. But if I spend two years every single day obsessed by how to get better and what I need to do, then the progress tends to get faster and faster and Mm. faster. So for me, the 22 marathons, the journey started three years ago. Mm. So I've been, now I didn't know I was going to run 22 marathons three years ago, but I started a journey of trying to see what I, what was possible for me. And I continued training. I continued running. I would, I'm still obsessed by all of it and, and not a negative obsession, just a positive. I want to learn. I want to get better. I want to push the envelope. Mm. So through that process, after let's say two years in December of last year is when I started thinking about, Hey, this 22 marathons thing. So the conversation really happened with myself and my coach, Ron, he's my running coach. And he knows what my ultimate plan is to run across Canada in 2025. Mm. So, you know, I was initially thinking about having a training block, maybe three, 400 kilometers, maybe a one week kind of thing. And then he's like, listen, man, <laughs> if you want to break a record or even get close to it, you need something more of a training block. 
So we started brainstorming different ideas. What, what's that look like? And we started off with, let's say, you know, 30 marathons in a row, whatever, all these different sort of ideas. Sure. And then eventually came to the 22 because of it's a specific reason for the number. Mm -hmm. And and the number is related to veterans in the United States. The study was conducted, which showed that 22 veterans a day commit suicide because of mental health related issues. So I wanted to highlight that. So now starting in December of last year. And that's a crazy number, by the way. That's an insane number. It's 22 a day. It's ridiculous. And look, man, if we, and that study was done in 2011, Mm. it was done in the United States. It didn't incorporate Canada and didn't incorporate first responders. So if you were to include emergency personnel, firefighters, police, all these people, I would suspect that number is a lot higher. I'd say so. Right. So it's a, it's a number that's, it's a tragic number and I wanted to highlight it. Mm. And so really since December until August, I was all in, man. I was training to do the thing. And so every single day was focused and dedicated and on that path. So I was prepared. So now before I started, I believed in myself. Sure. I had no clue I could do it because mm-hmm. <laughs> I had never done it before. <laughs> I had no idea. So that's sort of an uh, ignorance is bliss. Yeah. Like I didn't know what it, I didn't know. Right. Like yeah. the most I had ever run in a row was three marathons in a row. I've ran that before. Like three days in a row. Three days in a row. Okay. Right. So, I, you know, 42.2 kilometers. So if people who don't know how much a marathon is, it's 42.2 kilometers. And, um, so the most I had done was last year was three in a row. And so after I had done that last year, I was like, man, I never thought I could do that. Mm. That also precipitated the other thing. Oh, what else can I do? Rather than I'm going to, and typically generally from my experience, when I see people, I'm going to train for a marathon in eight months or nine months. And that's all I'm going to do. And they reach that goal and then they're done. Mm. They don't want to see what else they can do because they've accomplished one thing and then, okay, let's keep moving forward. Mm-hmm. For me, it's a bit different. Um, it's a constant effort to continue to see what I'm capable of all the time, at least right now from a physical perspective, I'm now starting to apply that sort of way of thinking across all levels now. Okay. And other metrics of my life, not just the physical. Okay. So I know we're going to break out of this before, during, and after, but I'm pretty sure I brought this one up with you before Rockefeller famously asked, how much is enough? You've got so much money. How much is enough? And he says to the reporter, just $1 more, right? Always $1 more. So I'm going to ask you, how much is enough? I don't know. I have I don't know. I'm just going to keep going until I keep, I can't (laughs) like, I don't, for me, there's no enough, man. It's like, um, I haven't reached even close to what I think I'm capable of from not just a physical way, but all of the ways you would measure success. And I'm not even, I haven't, I don't think I've scratched the surface. So why would I stop now, man? (laughs) Like I got to keep moving. It's funny when you start pushing beyond that circle of boundaries where people think their limitations are. And the second you step outside that, it's like, holy crow, how much further can I go? I, I liken it to the first time, I mean, growing up and up to about 18, I, I really didn't travel. And I remember a uh, buddy says, Hey, we got a couple of quad bikes. Let's go down to Oregon. We're going to race in the sand dunes. This is going to be fantastic. So I spent a week in Oregon in the sand dunes with these quad bikes with paddle tires on it. And it was pretty fun, right? And 
I was like, this is the furthest away from home I've ever been. Let's keep going. <laughs> right. And then kept driving down through, through Oregon, through California, through Nevada until I eventually ran out of money. But, uh, but that feeling of, um, I'm, I'm further than I have been and I have no idea where these limits are, but I have to wonder, there's another analogy that I will use, which is kind of like cliff jumping. I'll go and I'll go cliff jumping. And it's one of those things at an early age, I decided cliff jumping is probably not the activity for me because after I jump off the cliff and I feel comfortable and I do it a few times, I say, let's go higher and I'll do it again. Let's go higher. And I keep doing that. And at some point I know that I'm going to end up injuring myself or there's going to be an adverse effect to my constant pushing to go higher and higher. So to that, that's when you... Now you found the left of arc, so to speak. Mm. Now you don't go further than that now. Yeah, but you want to. But you got to first find that. Right. You got to find it first. You got to find it and then push it because but, it's in your nature. Sure, but you find it. And so let's say you find that spot where you get injured. Okay. Cool. Now you found the spot where you're getting injured. Now you find the other spot on the other end where you, you can find some more balance. Then you get to the other side again and see, okay, let's push that further. How much for, further can we go based upon that sort of way of thinking? But uh, one thing I wanted to ask you, um, you know, you, you mentioned you had traveled in the quadding, right? Yeah. And, um, you stopped when you ran out of money. Yeah. But did that change your life or at least the way you saw things? Cause now you traveled, you did something you never thought you could do. Did that change something for you or light something up? Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. Then I started traveling further and further and I was getting, taking on odd jobs and doing work in order to get more money. Mm. I was sleeping in the back of the pickup truck. I mean, really all we were paying for was gas and bananas because bananas are cheap and, mm. and that was basically all I was eating. Mm -hmm. Um, but, um, yeah, hundred percent it did. And it can, it's exciting. And you talk about balance, it can askew that balance. And it's important to push the scale and tip it to see where it is and then allow it to kind of level back. But that balance is one of these things that people keep looking for. They say, oh, you have to have a work-life balance. You have to have a balance here. You have to, and I don't know, work-life balance. If you're talking about a work-life balance, balance is, life is the important one. There mm. should be no balance there. Work should be a means to an end so that you can live a life in a way that's going to be productive for yourself, your family, your friends around you. I don't think there should be any question of, it should be totally askewed. Work should be, in my opinion, the means to the end. Unless of course that is your driving factor and that is your life and that's work. And fair enough. I won't begrudge somebody for that. It's different from my perspective. Yeah. And uh, look, I agree, man. And I might even begrudge some people about it because maybe they don't truly understand what their purpose and why they're here. Um, why they're actually here, right? Mm. So if you're saying, so when I hear work-life balance, I think, okay, someone's going into an office or someone's going doing a job and then their balance is, oh, I got to make sure that my family's okay. So I got to make sure my workplace is okay. And then I got to make sure mm. this place is okay. Cool. I understand that. I've been in that space for a long, long time. Mm. Um, what I'm starting to maybe explore and um, understand perhaps is, um, mm, like you said, work is just... I think there's a way to find where the balance and the work are one and the same. Mm -hmm. So I, I, again, I don't know. I'm just kind of 
brainstorming and thinking about it out loud. Mm. But I think if there's a way to find where you're doing both at the same time, well, then the balance is supremely achieved, isn't it? And so, for example, if, if I'm living a life of service and through that, well, maybe I'm making a little bit of money to provide for myself and my family, I think that would probably be the ideal work-life balance because now I'm doing something that I love to do every single day. Mm-hmm. And I'm also then able to sustain and support myself and my family. And then who knows, maybe help other people along that path. But I think if you're in an environment where, okay, it's work over here and balance over here, mm. I think you're, you might become somewhat limited on how much service you could provide or how much support you could provide or whatever you want to say mm-hmm. to the balance part and to the community part, if that makes sense. It totally makes sense. It, it brings to mind a couple of things. So people say, you don't want to turn your hobby into your work, right? You don't want, you don't want to make yourself, uh, sick of the thing that you love so much by turning that into your work. And I can see that perspective. If somebody really loves something and they say, how can I make money at this? How can I make this my job? But the perspective then changes because they're looking at the job side as opposed to what it is that they love. If they look at that in a different way and they say, how can, how can success, whatever that metric's going to be, be a natural byproduct of the hard work that I put in towards what I love to do, uh, then I think, I think a person's winning because they're not turning what they love to do into work. They're doing what they love to do. And maybe they have to consult others who have traveled this path before, have other people like for myself, I'm not good at valuing things for myself. I'm not good at putting the ask out. Yeah. Other people do it for me. No problem. Yeah. Great. <laughs> that, that, that's a good relationship, right? Absolutely. I agree. Yeah. And the, the old analogy, you know, if you want to summit some mountains and your goal is to summit those mountains, sure you'll do it. But the person who loves mountaineering and does it for the love of mountaineering will out summit and out hike the person whose end goal is just to summit those mountains. No, well, case in point, what I just did. Exactly what I'm thinking. I mean, really, because <laughs> this is, um, what I'm trying to do is to figure out, no, I'm not even figuring it out. I know what my purpose is. I know what I'm doing mm. in terms of why I'm doing it. Now, through that process, if money comes into it or remuneration comes into it through that leading uh, factor, mm. uh, cool, that's fine. But I'm not doing all, any of what I'm doing to make money. Right. I'm doing it because I have a, I had some basic skill sets that I wanted to really maximize and develop. Mm for myself and for the people around me and by extension, social media and all the other places that it can happen. So I'm leading with that focus. Mm. And if money comes in, bonus, Mm. that's kind of how I'm framing it. And, and, um, it seems to be working. Look, I'm not making millions of dollars and I don't care to at this, you know, if it happens, it happens. Right. But I'm happy, man. I'm, I'm every single day I get to do what I love to do. That's amazing. And every single day I get to talk to people that are cool people. And every single day I get to see what I'm capable of and what's possible. And I challenge myself every single, every single day I'm challenging myself, either physically or mentally. It's, it's happening because I want to develop myself. Three, four years ago, I was, I'm not even a fraction of the human that I was. Like I'm, I'm so much more different now. Like even six months ago, I'm a different human than I was 
even six months ago. I challenge people to listen to the last podcast you're on. Mm -hmm. And when we talked, you're in a different headspace, totally different energy. You're way more centered. Yeah. There's a difference. I, no, I mean, look, man, I, I know for sure there's a difference. Cause I could, I remember what I was feeling in, then. Mm. And, uh, there was a lot of angst. There was a lot of anxiety. There yeah. was a lot of stress. And look, I have all of those things now, but I've come through the fire to a certain degree where I'm able to manage those a lot better. I've pushed myself so many ways over the last two years, even since we've had the podcast, I've pushed myself so many ways, not just physically, but mentally and both at the same time that I feel like I can handle so much more too. So that's made me a better human and more relaxed and more centered, like you said, and, um, and just, a, just more pleasant to be around at, just honestly. <laughs> How have you found your passion and your drive has had an effect on your family and your friends? Um, I, I think positively. I think so. Cause I mean, for one, like I was in a bad spot a few years ago. Mm. So, so friends and family are, you know, probably a little concerned with my mental state at that time. <clears throat> so for them to see where I'm at now, I'm like, I don't know. I haven't really asked them. Mm. Um, but I suspect that they're very pleased with some of the outcomes that have happened over the last couple of years. Um, for me, I'm, I know how I interact with my daughter and that is phenomenally better than it was before. Awesome. And my daughter is so much, uh, well, my relationship with my daughter is so much better than it was before. Nice. So, you know, through that, then, you know, my ex issues that may have been there before may, aren't as there as much because my daughter is flourishing because of the person that I'm becoming. So she's, you know, my relationship with my daughter is all I can control in terms of the other aspects. And, and so what it was causing me a lot of tension was some of that, you know, my ex and various other things that would happen through that process. And really I had to own a lot of that too. So it was a lot of ownership on my part to figure out why am I having difficulties in these different types of relationships? And I had to focus on what I wasn't doing and I wasn't being the best father I could be at the time. Mm. So for me, I had to understand that. And now that I can reflect back on that, and then I can say that with honesty, yeah, I wasn't doing the right things at the time. And I wasn't, um, the best father I could be at that time. And now I'm still not the best father, but I'm doing my best and I'm a lot better and I'm going to continue moving in that direction. So to answer your question, I think the people around me who've witnessed me and who are around me on a regular basis, they're, I suspect they're probably pretty pleased. Not the best father right now, you say. You know, my kids, as most kids will say, dad, you're the best dad in the world, right? I say, well, I'm trying. I'm working on it. Might not be the best right now, but I'm working towards being the best. A couple of years ago, you're in a dark place. Do you find you still encounter those demons? Mm, I think everyone does. It's how we manage them now. And how do we remain positive and how do we move, continue moving forward? That's kind of all my focus now is we all have problems. And before I would suspect that, well, before I had a bit more of a victim mentality, oh man, this, me, this, that, I, th I got screwed over or this happened to me or I, whatever. Mm. Right? But, um, since I've taken a lot more control over how I respond to things, I think, yeah, it's a lot different. 
it just absolutely is a lot different in how, how I manage it. How are you managing? I'm good, man. Like, uh, like in terms of man, and a lot of how I manage things now is based upon hard effort and achieving things over the last couple of years, because that's raised some built belief in me. So one of my fundamental issues a few years ago was a sense of disillusionment, mm. sense of worthlessness, sense of feeling like a loser, all things that I suspect a lot of people feel. Sure. And so I felt, and so I don't, I didn't realize this, but I kind of reflect back now and see what I've done over the last couple of years. And that's made me feel good about myself and, and not in an, in a egotistical way. Just, it's just like, wow, man, I, I did something I never thought I could do. And that makes me feel positive. So if I encounter something that's super challenging mentally, I can just re reflect back on the things I've already overcome and the things that I've already overcome or, or even things that I've put in front of me that were super challenging and I still overcome those things, that gives me a level of confidence and uh, a level of confidence that I can accomplish and achieve just about anything in a positive way given enough time and effort. I'd say that's probably one of the bigger impacts just as an outsider looking in that you've had on your family and your friends is in showing them that path forward. You know, there's a book by Dr. Seuss. I could probably recite it word for word. I've read it so many times to my kids, but it was called, I had, I had trouble in getting to Solace Salu. It was about a little character who had never had troubles and, um, all of a sudden starts having troubles and a guy comes up on his one wheeler wobble and says, Hey, come on to Solace Salu. They have no more, he'll have no more troubles. Well, at least very few, right? And he goes on this long journey and keeps encountering trouble after trouble after trouble and gets to Solace Salu and they can't get the key to work in the inside. And the guy says, oh, I'm off to another place where they have no troubles at all. And the main character stops and thinks, and his little quote at the end was he decides not to go. He says, I know there are troubles of more than one kind. Some come from ahead, some come from behind, but I've got a big stick. I'm already, you see, my troubles are going to have troubles with me. And essentially he's learned through this process. He's faced adversity and he says, I know I'm always going to have troubles. Anyways, um, I think that is probably the biggest thing that you're imparting on those around you, because you've been very vocal about sharing your journey, where you were, how difficult things had gotten and where you are now. And I find that really interesting that, that one question, because some people say, no, nah, everything's great. <laughs> No more troubles at all. No, we all have troubles. I'm still dealing with troubles, but I've got better tools. I got that big stick. Mm -hmm. Well, I think, I think it's been invaluable for me. Mm. So like we were talking about Nathan, uh, the, mm. the host of the 1033 podcast. Fantastic guy. Right. And, um, I was on his podcast, probably one of the first ones I had done maybe two years ago. Mm. And you could clearly hear, um, my mental state in that, in that podcast, like it, how negative I was, or even just how, how hurt or damaged I was. It was very emotional for me. And anyway, so having said that to, to your point about, um, you know, people could track where, how I've been, you know, progressing by even going on various different podcasts or social media things that I've been doing over the last couple of years, you could see it. Mm. You, you can see the, the, um, the growth and the development mentally and physically. So I think, you know, now that I'm reflecting back on it, man, that's pretty, man, I'm pretty proud of that, to be honest, that I'm able to 
you know, that I have come to a certain point where I'm able to still, look, I'm not without difficulties. There's tons of them still presented. Mm. And sometimes I make them happen too. I create them now yeah. so that I can go through the uncomfortable moments, even despite how difficult they may be. I know now based on what I've already accomplished, I think I can tackle any problem given enough time. So now I'm creating certain, I don't want to say creating problems, but maybe creating an obstacle so that I can develop and get better through that process. You're not shying away from the challenge. No. Nathan's an incredibly empathetic fellow mm -hmm. and he's, uh, I, I really admire how, how centered he is and how in tune he is with his, um, his feelings, his emotions. And like he, he's put a lot of work into it. Mm -hmm. And I remember going back on those podcasts prior to our first podcast that we did when I was gathering information, I was looking at all the different sources of places where you'd been speaking and there was that negative aspect that, uh, that victim mentality. How do you deal with that? How are you, because that's, we're a negatively biased species. Yeah. There's always going to be that aspect to it. We don't want to just whitewash over and pretend like we're not. How do you deal with that? I had to learn. I had to learn, man. And, um, so for me, I know how I am <clears throat> in the sense of how I learn. Basically, I kind of have a rough idea how I learn and how I tackle things and how I understand things. And for me, as soon as I find people that I kind of want to be like, I just attach mm. and try to learn because I, I think with a certain degree, like, like I've had a lot of experience in, in, in law enforcement. So I, I, I'm decent at assessing people in a short period of time and, and understanding, um, you know, maybe benefits that I, I could learn from and, and sure. things of that nature. So for me, I started, I didn't know what I was doing. I had no clue how to kind of correct certain things, but I could tell that some people did. Mm. And, um, I just kind of listened and paid attention to those people and, and I'll be Sean Taylor and Seb Levoie, I, I kind of really focused on those two guys mm. because I saw, um, attributes that I respected in both of them, mm -hmm. very different individuals, but I kind of wanted to take both of them and combine them together and try to apply them for myself. Mm. And that's essentially what I've been doing over the last couple of years to remove both the victim mentality and the fear of death. Mm. And I've been focused on those two things so that I can continue moving forward in a, in a way that I'm not scared. And so I had a chat with Seb some time ago and, and, and he's, he said this probably on various other podcasts and whatnot, but he's, one of the things he mentioned to me is like, man, if you can remove the victim mentality and the fear of death, you're already winning. Mm -hmm. So when I heard him say that, I, I just tried to understand what that meant. And then, um, and I just slowly just started listening to what they would say and, and how I, remove that victim mentality is, is because everyone's got a screwed up life. <laughs> totally. Everyone's had problems. <laughs> that Norman Rockwell idea of a perfect family no, and perfect right? life it's, doesn't exist. It doesn't, man. So as soon as I was, uh, woke up to the fact that I'm not unique, mm. I'm not special at all, that there are people out there who've had it tougher and, um, and you know, and I haven't had it that tough compared to a lot of people. So it put things in perspective as well. So as soon as I put things in perspective and then I started working and then I started building belief in myself, then things started really moving in a, in a direction that was positive. But I think you have to put in work, otherwise things don't happen. Momento mori, remember we die. Mm -hmm. Tell me about this fear of death thing. 
So for me, I think I, 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 I don't think I've had much of a fear of death. So I've been good on that part. Sure. Right. But I think the fear of death, I think, look, you don't want to die, mm. but you should also shouldn't be scared to live. Mm. Right. And I think I was scared to live for a period of life where I'd, I didn't want to do things. I wanted to stay safe. I wanted to do my job and do this, that, and the other and be normal and whatever. But I think as soon as I really tackled that piece, I was like, well, and I think probably, you know, the pandemic kind of helped fast forward that for me mm. because I didn't want to be locked in my house. I was like, I'm not, look, if I die, I die then, man. I don't care. I don't mm -hmm. want to be isolated forever. I want to go outside and experience things and meet people and live. Mm -hmm. So I think that really solidified for me the, oh man, I'm not scared to die, man. Let's just live. And so now with that sort of way of thinking, I can create for myself challenges that are astronomical that maybe I never would have thought of before because they're so crazy and out there for me. And so, yeah, that's kind of how I explain that fear of uh, death. I remember as a, uh, a kid watching Terminator 2 and seeing the uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger, of course, it's a stunt double and very clearly a stunt double as he takes a bike and jumps off the ledge and he's driving down and the T-1000 or whatever yeah. it is, has got the semi truck behind him. And yeah. I was like, imagine what a person could do if they just eliminated the fear of dying, they'd probably be like this Terminator guy, right? 100%. Just driving down, doing their thing. And I tried to incorporate that into my own life, possibly in a negative way in younger years, but that could lead to thankfully, uh, not too many injuries and I'm still alive. Um, there is that balance that people need to be able to find because you know, I've talked to other people and they say, you know, it wasn't that I wanted to die. It was just that I was apathetic about living. Right. And I just, I didn't care. Um, you're pushing yourself now in a way that challenges yourself on a daily basis. What happens if you get injured? What happens if you don't have that ability to be able to push yourself further? Or is that going to have a very difficult mental, uh, effect on you? I mean, if you, if that piece of the puzzle, if you're living for these new challenges and these pushing and pushing, um, would you be content if you're forced into a position where you could no longer push like you are now? That's a good question. I think, look, there's always things that happen and things can happen to anyone. <clears throat> I don't think about it, hmm. but I have thought about it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh, the reality is this, man, you know, if, let's say if, uh, there's a mobility issue for me and I can't run, hmm. cool. I'll figure something else out. Hmm. I'll do something else. Like I, I didn't like running to begin with. Mm. <laughs> so it started in a, in a way that, uh, with a, with a activity that I hated anyway. So, um, for me, it's more the fact of trying to find something to challenge myself. Like, look, if you, if you, you got Mark Orman, who's, uh, uh, um, on social media, pretty big platform. I think he's SAS retired. He's a double, triple amputee. He's one yes, arm. I know Mark. Yeah, of yeah, course. Yeah, yes. Yeah. So, uh, he, he does jujitsu and all kinds of other things and he's got, he doesn't have, he's missing his legs and one left, one arm. And he's riding these pet, these, uh, so, arm pedal bikes. And so, you know, I mean, I think there's always a way to push yourself. And I, I think I'd be that guy. I mean, I know I'm that guy who'd find a way to do something. Mm. Um, so I'm not worried about that. Um, you know, I, I, I believe there's always a way to find a way to push oneself. Like, don't get me wrong. If something like that were to happen to me, obviously it would 
affect me emotionally and I wouldn't be happy with it, but I would have a plan in place to make sure that I can keep getting up and keep moving forward because my purpose. If we, if we looked at the, before the run, let's look at the 22 and 22. Can you talk me through that process? What were the highs? What were the lows? How'd you deal with them? Okay. <laughs> so as you can imagine, um, 22 marathons is a, was a big undertaking for me, <clears throat> both, uh, emotionally, physically, mentally, logistically, all the things that you can kind of think of. Cause essentially I planned with the support of some people, but all of it was <laughs> created and planned out on my own. Right. And so to begin with, or during the, so we had challenges right from day one, right? So in terms of, um, and I was, <laughs> the challenges were, were both physical, mental, um, environmental, right? A lot of things were happening. So like the first day, uh, in Revelstoke, it was hot, mm-hmm. <laughs> it was hot, man. And I hadn't ran in that heat before, uh, that heat. I've ran in as much heat as I can get here, but once you started going in those areas, you're looking at 35, 37, 38 degrees Celsius, right? So for me, it was just difficult to recreate those environments, number one. Number two, it was also very difficult to create um, forest fires and smoke <laughs> yeah. for me to run through. And in Revelstoke, there were, you know, um, Weather Network would put out environmental warnings. No one should go outside for any activity. And I'm out there running a marathon. Right. Right. So things like that. So there were little things like that. And then, um, you know, what's Mike Tyson say? Everyone's got a plan until they get punched in the face. Right. So I had plans, but I got punched in the face in day one. Mm -hmm. So after day one, you know, I'm going out hot, you know, I'm going out fast. I'm like, oh, I'm excited. I'm feeling good. And I was wrecked by the end of the first day. It, it, like, it, so I was trying to maintain a certain pace mm. so that I can manage all of the days. So the pace I was trying to stay within was seven minutes to seven and a half minutes per kilometer so that I could, so that I could be prepared for the next day and the next day and the next. Now, if it was just one or two or three days, then that changes. But mm. this was more of a, a challenge of attrition rather than a challenge of speed. Right. Right. So the first day I was, I had severe headaches because of the smoke. And then, uh, you know, at the end of the day I was reflecting and I thought I had done pretty well, but I woke up in the next morning. And so I, I track my metrics in terms of my HRV heart rate and various other things. And I use a whoop strap to do that. And the next morning I woke up, my recovery was at 2%. It was like as low as it can get. So I was like pretty wrecked, um, from an, from, a uh, say that better. I wasn't wrecked. I could still do all the things I needed to do, but just from a recovery perspective, I mm. wasn't ideal. Mm-hmm. So, and then on the second day, um, the warnings went out further saying, okay, we, people shouldn't be running. And then I'm getting messages from various people saying, and people that I respect would be like, Hey, you need to reevaluate what you're doing here. Cause you don't want to cause any health issues, um, running in the smoke, this, that, and the other. Now I just started this thing. Right. I got things going through my head. I'm got a severe headache. I got all these things going on. I'm like, okay, man, what do I do here? And, uh, and then on top of that, my, my girlfriend was with me the entire time. She was uh, support throughout the entire process, which was amazing. She was the support vehicle as well. And so I had a massive support in that regard by her <clears throat> and, um, but her car was having issues on after day one. Oh, so, no. so on day two, it wasn't starting. So now I'm like, okay, I got a headache. Um, I'm t- getting all these messages. I, uh, it's smoky and the car is not working. 
Mm. What, what am I going to do now? <laughs> so then I was like, okay, man, let me just recalibrate here. I, I found a gym in Revelstoke and I was like, okay, I'm going to run, let me run outside on the second day. Mm-hmm. And after the first half, I was like, okay, you know what? It's probably, cause I, I couldn't even breathe. Mm. Like I, I had to like, I was breathing through my mouth because if I was breathing through my nose, I was taking in too much smoke. Mm. So I was trying to conserve that. And then I was like, uh, you know what, man, I, the goal is to get the kilometers in. So I was like, okay, I found a gym and I did, uh, I did the marathon on one full day on the treadmill. Mm. So I ran 42.3 kilometers on a treadmill on I think it was day, so day two, I ran half of it on a treadmill, mm-hmm. went inside. Day three, I did the whole thing on a treadmill. And then we ended up figuring out the car. The car got squared away. And then day four, we moved on from uh, um, Revelstoke on to the next town. But uh, there were challenges right at the beginning. How did you feel when you jumped on that treadmill? Did you feel like this, this wasn't how I envisioned myself doing this? Was there yeah. that kind of thought? There was a little bit of that. There was a little bit like, oh, people are going to chirp me. He's on a treadmill. He's not outside, this, that, and the other. And I just thought, look, man, I got to get the kilometers done. So I just framed it differently after. Mm-hmm. Um, I know I didn't want to stay inside too much because I, I just, that wasn't what I wanted to do. I wanted to run outside at the very least, right? So, you know, on that one day I stayed on the treadmill, it cleared up just a little bit more on the next day. So then I was able to run outside and I stayed in Revelstoke and ran 42 kilometers within the entire town. So anywhere you want to go in Revelstoke, I know where to take you, man. I know everything. <laughs> <laughs> I, know, I know everywhere to go. All the back alleys. Everywhere. Back, everything. <laughs> but, uh, but you know, I initially was, bu- it did bug me, but then, you know what? I was like, man, whatever. I'm still getting it in and I'm still going to do what's required and we're still going to raise the money because the ultimate goal is to run the kilometers, raise awareness and raise funds. Do people chirp you? Sean Taylor. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> but, but it's a good chirp, right? For of me, course, because it's coming from a place of love. Yeah. So for me, when I, when I get certain chirps from certain people, I pay attention to them. Mm. When I get certain chirps from some other people, I don't pay attention to them. So I was just listening to a podcast, uh, past podcast guest on the Silvercore podcast, John Sinai. Love that guy. Amazing fellow. Looking forward to when we can actually meet face to face, but, um, uh, he was talking about a quote and says, don't pay attention to the credits. Don't pay attention to the critics. Don't even ignore them. Meaning, mm. mm-hmm. meaning that it doesn't even rise to the dignity of a response. You're not, you're not actively ignoring them. It's just, it's not even there. You're just so far into your own process and your own thing that it doesn't even kind of appear. I mean, it, and to be honest, it, it does, it didn't for me and those things didn't really um, enter in because then I start thinking, okay, someone's going to trip me who doesn't really know me. And who doesn't know what I'm doing and who doesn't know what I've already, um, gone through to come to the point of running 22, or at least attempting the fact of running 22 marathons in a row. Um, they, they, they have zero concept as to what's actually happening. And so I can't really even take that information because they have no clue of what's happening. And people in front don't chirp the people behind them. The people behind will chirp up front, right? <laughs> and that's something to always kind of keep in the mind. The people up front, they're doing their thing. Yeah. They'll, they'll shout back encouragement. Yeah. The people behind are the ones who will try and chirp back, hold well, the person. And back. you know, that's cool, man. They can chirp from behind. I'll t- turn that's this. Right. I'll, I'll turn back this way and I'll say, pick up the pace. That's right. Come right. on. You can do it too. Come yeah. on up here. Cause it, that's all I'm saying, man. Yeah. Like to be honest, I'm like, bro, if I could do this, mm-hmm. anyone can do anything. If you're given enough time and effort, look, yes, it's running and maybe I'm, um, 
I'm somewhat of an athlete and I've kind of, you know, these are the things I like to do. So it's, you sure. know, it's a thing, yep. but it's just the thing. Anyone can look at a thing that they love to do and go all in and crush it. Like it's, it's, and it's not, I'm, I'm not saying anything that people don't know. I'm just saying something in real time so people can really understand I'm you. Mm. I just finished doing something and it just took me a year of training or let's say three years of effort to be create a runner, but anyone can do that. And that applies in all aspects of life. Like I remember like right now we've got Adobe edition running. <coughs> I will edit this on Adobe premiere. I'll make the graphic on Adobe Photoshop. I'll, I did stuff in after effects. I looked at this stuff. I'm like, this is a completely different language a few years ago. I can't do this. This is for other people. This is for smart people who are graphically inclined. You know how to do this. And one day something clicked. I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to figure this out. I just sat down and it's been a long slog, but I've got the ability to, to run these things, something that I thought was completely out of my realm. And it makes me start questioning, huh, what other things do I think are out of my realm? Learning new languages? No, you just, you plug away, you do it. Um, physical goals? Nah. And then that's the physical side has always been something that I've never had an issue with. I'll injure myself, I'll have difficulties, but from the mental tenacity and just dogged stubbornness side, I always know I'll get there. I might not be the fastest. I might not be in the front of the line, but I know I can do it because I won't give up. But I mean, that's exactly the point, right? At yeah. the end of the day, it's just a matter of just consistency of effort. Keep doing the thing over and over and over again. And then you'll, you'll be the best version of you. Mm. You may not be the best in the world. But as long as you're being the best version of you, man, that's all anyone can ask for. Yeah. Yeah. Good friend of mine. He's, uh, says, you know, there's a common thread that I'm, I'm hearing on your podcast. You have these people on that do amazing things. You've got green berets and Navy seals and SAS and elite athletes. And, and the, the common thread is that anybody can do this, right? He said, but that's not true. And not everybody can be a green beret. Not everyone can be SAS. Not everyone can run across Canada. And, um, he says, well, what do you think about that? I said, well, I think everyone can do better. I think everybody can have goals that they can set for themselves and they can look at where they're currently at now, because I agree, not everyone can be elite special forces, but they can take a look at where they're at right now and they can say, I can do more. Mm -hmm. yeah, I agreed. So like, let's say for example, let's take that special forces, uh, analogy for a second. Maybe when, if you know that you want to do that when you're 13, mm. then anyone can do it because mm. you have the time to prepare yourself to figure out how to make that happen. Mm. Right. Um, let's take Nims Dye, for example. Okay. So he was able to do something epic and amazing and a record of, you know, climbing the seven sub, what was it? Seven tallest peaks yeah. in seven months. Right. Yeah. At the age of 15, he could run 50 K. Mm. Right. Cause he was running around all the time. Like his body had a head start to some people because he was, knew what he wanted to do mm -hmm. and he spent time and effort in trying to achieve a goal, even at a young age. Mm. So if you know what you want, if you know what your purpose is and you set, um, you know, a plan in place and then how fast you want to do that thing, mm. you'll get there, mm -hmm. but it's determining what that thing is for you. So you know, anyone can be a tier one operator if they are aware of who they are, 
and at the time in which they decided want to take that course. And then obviously the support pieces. But if you're 12 or 13 and you have a father that's like, okay, that's what you want to do. I'll support in that endeavor. Okay, do this, do that, do this, do that. And then ho- who knows? Maybe it happens. Yeah. You but, know, there's always going to be physical and, and mental limitations within the sure. w- within the sphere here. But it doesn't mean they can't push from where they are now to another phase, to the next stage. Yeah. Um, and it's funny you mentioned Nims die. Because things kind of come full circle. He's inspired so many people. Yeah. Right. Um, indirectly, cause I'm, I'm watching what he's doing. I'm like, man, that's so cool. And, you know, I'm watching him do some paragliding, right? Hey, that's pretty neat. Right. Turns out I, I know the person who taught him how to paraglide. I found out in an indirect way. I don't know the person personally, sure. but, uh, um, enough that, uh, uh, me and the fellow who taught him, uh, we're going to do a podcast. He's like, well. I'm over in Chamonix right now in France and, um, uh, living there for a bit and he's going to come over to BC. I'm like, oh, I'll just come over to you and tell you what, I'm going to pick up a paraglider yes. and, and I'll go do some paragliding in yes. Chamonix. Yes. And so I did, and I've been learning how to paraglide and I've been just doing my thing around here for a little bit and I've since learned there's a lot to it and maybe me going to Chamonix at my beginner level in that sort of an elite sort of place to be paragliding might not be the smartest thing to do, but, um, it, it's Why on not? the list. Why not? Uh, from a safety standpoint, okay. to just learning how to properly control and, and in different, uh, weather conditions, wind conditions, um, catabatic winds, adabatic sure. winds, all, all the. The only reason I ask why is because, um, I'm just thinking about my experience when I first entered in ultra running. Mm. And, um, I just entered in nine races. So, okay. So in 2022, I did nine ultra marathons in mm. nine months. Right. And I had never done that before. I, well, I hadn't ever even done a marathon before. So, I just, right. so, so, um, so what I did was do that, schedule that. And the first race I went to, I never experienced or even saw what an ultra. And I went, the first one I went to was a backyard ultra, which are like notoriously difficult. Mm because you're doing a six kilometer loop over and over and over and over. Mentally, that's gotta be tough. Yeah. And so that alone, and then I didn't know, um, I posted this actually on my social media the other day, Chad Wright talking about how do you find a mentor and he's, Chad Wright's a Navy, retired Navy SEAL. He, uh, he's an ultra endurance guy. Anyways, I heard him on a podcast. I think it was on the Nick Bear podcast and he was talking about, the question was, how do you find a mentor? And how does one find a mentor if they want to learn something? And he, you know, he, uh, Chad Wright just picked up, okay, well, let's take, um, let's take ultra endurance, ultra marathons for an example. If you want to be a comp- ultra marathoner, how do you do that? Well, he suggested you enter, you just sign up for a race. Even if you don't know a thing, you go show up and then you'll see what you don't know. Mm. You'll see that, oh, you don't have the right nutrition. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you don't have a, a race pit. You don't have support. It, all the things associated. So when he was saying all these things, I was like, that was me two years ago. Because <laughs> I registered for this backyard. I showed up with no crew. And in these things, you have like a, a pit crew to help you because you, you stop, you get your f- fluids, nutrition, and then you mm-hmm. keep moving, right? So I didn't have that. I didn't even bring any food. <laughs> I maybe brought like, you know, very minimal, nothing yeah. compared to what I would do now. Yeah. The shoes, the clothes, all the things. I was so ill-prepared. But you did it. But I did it. I entered it I and I epically failed in terms of like how far I made it. Like there was people, savages, 300 kilometers. I think I was like 47 kilometers or something mm. in my first time. Um, but, but what it taught me was like, I don't know anything. And there's a ton of people out there that do. 
And it just, um, it opened my eyes up to what's possible. And then through that, I was in an environment where people could see I was nobody or just starting out. And they would be like, hey man, do that or try this or would point me in different directions. So unless and until I entered in an environment that I wanted to actually enter into, how does one find a mentor in that space? Because you have to do the thing to be able to start doing. So for example, if I want to start hunting, well, I got to start doing something and through that, start meeting people in that collective who may say, oh, you know what, I'll take you on, I'll help you out or whatever. But you have to start going in those environments. Otherwise you're never going to excel. You just either advertently or inadvertently undercovered what I feel to be the number one life hack. And that's surround yourself with the people who are doing what you want to be able to do. Reach out to the experts in the industry. There's one guy who's talking about, um, uh, oh, I want to learn about, I forget what it was. It was some, maybe some neurosurgery or, or whatever it is. So I'm going to reach out to the top neurosurgeon and say, oh, how much do you make an hour? And okay. If I were to pay you exponentially more than that in a month's time to spend a full day with you, could you put something together for me and distill all of the main information that you think would be important for me to know? And they said, that person spent so much time putting all of that information together. They sat down, they distilled all of this information over it, and then they wanted to see them succeed afterwards. So you don't, you value that mentor's time. You value the person. You don't just sit there and be a leech and take advantage of it. And you make sure you actually put into practice and, and, um, work that information that they provide you. So you seem grateful, right? Mm -hmm. um, no, it makes sense, man. And I think, um, on the endeavors that I'm moving on to now, I think that's a important thing to remember for me because <clears throat> like I, like, just like you, I have difficulty valuing, um, some of the things that I may be able to offer some people. If mm. I, so I'm going into the coaching space now, right. And, and I want to start, um, um, helping or not even helping, working with other people who have certain types of goals. And I want to be able to at least facilitate through my experiences that uh, that they can achieve their own goals, whatever they may be. So for example, I was speaking to a guy this morning who, who uh, is a new client and really, really a guy that I'm going to be working with. And, um, he's a, he's a first responder. He's, um, lives in the Okanagan area and he wants to be able to do a fundraiser next year, um, to raise money for wounded warriors. And mm. he, by way of doing it, he wants to run a 60 kilometers from one cenotaph to the other across the interior. I think it's from a Soyuz to, um, I can't remember the Penticton maybe or something. I can't remember the, the, the yeah. actual route, but anyways, he was talking about this. So I want to talk to people like that mm. and, 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 and be able to see if I can support people with the knowledge I've gathered over the last little while to be able to help them achieve their goal, but not only just achieve their goal, but crush their goal. Because not just running the 60K that he's planning to do, but how do we help him raise up the community that he's in and then also use maybe various different platforms to raise as much money and all the things associated to what he's doing. So for me, that's kind of the space I'm moving towards. And I think um, now that I've kind of experienced a few things and I'm going to continue experiencing things because I'm not going to be that type of guy who's going to be like, Hey, you do this, you do that. Mm. I'm, I'm, I want to be in the trenches all the time. Mm -hmm. So I'm always pushing my envelope. I'm always trying to see what, what I can do. And then through that process, whatever I can learn through that testing myself, both in extreme conditions and then the best conditions, then I can co like kind of mm, collate that information and mm -hmm. bring it together and then 
based on the individual that I'm speaking with, find the right solutions specifically just for them. When did you come to that realization? Was this prior to the 22 or is this uh Very recent. <laughs> very re So you fast forwarded to the after the 22, yeah. which um, I, I, I think is amazing. Um, I want to talk more about that, but in an effort to try and not let my ADHD run all over the place. Let's stick to what you got, bro. Um, injuries on the 22? During, so, on so the during So I'm really happy with the training that, um, myself and my, my coaches and my supporting people around me, kinesiologists and, um, physiotherapists and, and people, um, I didn't have anything significant, you know, a, a missing toenail, some swollen feet, plantar fasciitis, your kind of typical sort mm. of, um, issues that happen from, from accumulation. Mm. But outside of that, man, I, it's the biggest hit I took is to my central nervous system, which is going to happen no matter what, when you're doing something that's, um, that large and, and over a period of time. What do so, you mean? so there's a CNS fatigue, so central nervous fatigue. So right now I'm, I'm probably going to stay away from a uh, major strenuous activity for about three to four weeks so I can recover my central nervous system. So what that means is if I were to go for, okay, so I went to mental health walk, uh, the one that Seb puts on yep. every other Sunday and I went there this last Sunday, it was a two hour walk. I was exhausted after exhausted. Mm. Like, so it's a, a level of fatigue that is like not normal for me. So, which indicates that I'm, uh, I've had a bit of a, a CNS fatigue and which is normal. So, um, is that like a mental thing? Is that it's a, a phys physical body thing? Like it's just an internal, uh, your nervous system is kind of, huh. uh, fatigue based overstressed. on overstressed. Okay. So, um, you know, huh. like basically almost each day for the last four days, like around two o'clock, I'm like, I'm lying down, I'm kind of exhausted, I'm drained, so to speak. Um, but that is normal. So, you know, things that are, uh, to kind of fix that are obviously, you know, rest, mm. stretch, eat properly, anti-inflammatory, you know, do anti-inflammatory things to, in, you know, make sure the, the inflammation reduces, but. So to answer your question, that's the most significant thing that's been affecting me. CNS stress. Mm. Can that, so that would be from the physical, can the mental induce CNS? Like, I, I, I think so. Yeah. I mean, I could be wrong, but even let's say for example, if I'm thinking like over the last few days, I've been thinking a lot mm. because I'm trying to do a bunch of different things and I'm exhausted even after thinking. So I think the, um, the, the energy required to think. And when you're dealing with stress and, and these types of things, I think it really takes a toll on the body as well. So as you can imagine, I'm not just running those 22 days and now I'm booking hotels, I'm gas, food, groceries, like all the things, managing everything all at the same time, girlfriend dealing with, you know, how to navigate the new relationship as I'm running 22 marathons. Like, so there's a lot of things happening that, um, that, uh, that I'm happy happened, man. Cause I, I made it through and, and it all worked out and I'm, you know, just dealing with CNS, which is whatever. Well, I've read studies that your brain consumes more energy than any, any part of your body. I so, believe it. So when you're running, are you trying to turn your brain off to <laughs> preserve mm. energy? Are you, cause I know when I run and I don't run like you, but when I run, I'm uh, thinking about business. I'm thinking about, uh, all these other things. And I find that affects my ability to run more than if I just keep saying the same goofy song over and over in my head, right? Mm -hmm. or, or 
uh, got that mantra that I go over. Well, I mean, as you can imagine, like on average, I was running between five and five and a half hours each day, right? Yeah. So, you know, there's ebbs and flows of how I'm thinking, what I'm thinking about, but I tried to stay in the moment as much as I could and tried not to think too much. You know, I did, but I did my best not to. So how did I do that? Well, there was, I was in some beautiful areas, man. Yeah. So I'm, you know, even despite the smoke, you know, despite the smoke, I'm still like, um, you know, running from, let's say, Lillooet to Pemberton. That's beautiful. Oh, it's a great area. Yeah. <laughs> a, lot, a lot of hills, yeah, yeah. a lot of elevation, but it's beautiful, right? And so for me, I was paying attention to that. Were you running down the Duffy? Yeah. I did the Duffy road, bro. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> see any, any wildlife? I did a little bit. I saw a couple deer, but nothing major. I didn't see any bears or anything like that. The amount of grizz that I saw up there <laughs> a few months ago was insane. Well, yeah, man. I mean, look, it is beautiful out there. Yeah. And I was thinking about that when I was running, cause I thought, okay, well, there's fires and there's smoke. Maybe that'll displace some of these bears and some of these animals. Mm. Maybe they may jump on the road. Who knows? Right. Mm -hmm. So I was paying attention. So I was staying in the moment and, um, there were things I was trying to do, like, man, like, uh, my legs were feeling it and my feet were really feeling it in terms of the inflammation and, 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 and the pain, so to speak. So I was talking to another friend of ours, uh, Julie Kelly, she's a ultra endurance, uh, uh, 24 hour solo mountain bike racer. She's gearing up to do the world champion chip in Australia here in the next few weeks. And, um, so I, you know, I, I asked her, I go, Hey man, like, Cause she's done a lot of like long endurance kind of things. And I go, Hey, like any suggestions to kind of manage my feet right now and my legs and while I was running mm. and she's like, yeah, let's find a Creek, you know, jump in. So, uh, I was, um, getting towards Squamish and you know how beautiful it is there, right? Oh, yeah. Actually was it, yeah, Squamish area and, and all the, you know, the creeks, the rivers, the, the rapids, all the things. Yeah. And I just, I was. I was staying in the moment. I was looking, I saw it and I was like, I'm taking a 10 minute break. Now the Chickamauga there and Squamish. Yeah. Area. So I was just kind of, I, it was actually probably a little bit dangerous, but I was like, whatever. And I, it was, you know, the rapids were kind of moving pretty yeah. fast. And, um, I took my shoes off my socks, dipped my legs in for 10 minutes. And then that recalibrated me like no other. Totally. I felt, I felt fresh and I kept, I almost went faster. Nature bathing. Right. No, <laughs> man. And so little things like that to stay in the moment. So I wouldn't think so much, but you know, it's, I would be thinking mm -hmm. and, and it's going to happen. It's inevitable. But I think, um, once I got to a certain place, you know, I would, you know, pay attention to the mountains, the trees, the, the sounds of the birds. I would also listen to music from time to time, stay, listen to the same songs over and over to kind of get in a meditative state. Mm. Um, I would, uh, try to, when I would be running, I would periodically try to touch the signs to stay in the moment. So I, I do that. Yeah. Right. And, and, or maybe, um, touch some of the flowers or the trees yeah. while I'm running just to kind of stay in the moment. Yeah. Little things like that to mm -hmm. stay, stay present. And, um, you know, those things helped for sure. Very cool. So, I uh, anything else you should know about the during? Think for me during, once I hit 11 halfway mark, then I was good. It, like in terms of mentally, like really secure. I'm like, like I made it halfway. If I'm halfway done, I'm all the way done. There's no way it's helping now. So it was really me going through those first five, 10, 11 days yeah. were the most challenging. You're doing those daily posts. And I remember when you reached the 11 and I, I left yeah. a post on there yeah. saying halfway there, you're, it's all downhill. You're, yeah. you're, you're good to go. But I, I put that there because watching your posts, 
I don't know if I was reading more into it than I, than what was happening, but it, it looked like there was some, um, it was challenging. It was. I Listen, man, it was, it was challenging, man. And, and those challenges were a gift. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm so happy I had them. It was hard. Yeah. It was hard. And it was emotionally draining for me. Yeah. That's um, what I was picking up on. Yeah. It was emotionally draining because, look, man, I, I <laughs> and it, Credit to Julia, who's my girlfriend. She, you know, we've only been dating for like six months or something. Yeah. And, and, um, so she, so there were challenges in that because we're experiencing ups and downs. Uh, sure. And how do you navigate that and how do you best do it? So she's never been around someone who's been a ultra endurance person. She's an athlete herself. Yep. But it's a different thing also when someone's doing a, a, um, a large sort of ultra endurance event. It is, it generally becomes about that individual and supporting them and making sure that they're all there. And so she wasn't really too familiar on some of that. Mm. So there were some challenges there, but I think overall it worked out amazing. She was super supportive. She learned a lot through the process. I learned a ton through that process and how to properly communicate with someone, um, who's like herself. Mm-hmm. So that was helpful for me to understand that piece. And then also at the end of the day, man, she's, she was amazing. Yeah. Like, I mean, I had someone supporting me, who's a businesswoman herself, who has her own business, who's servicing all her own clients and supporting me while I'm running five and a half hours every single day with her vehicle. And so, you know, um, challenges, yes, but they're all good ones. I like that properly communicate comment because so many people are like, you're not listening. You're not this. It's not the other person's job. If I'm saying something and it's not coming through, then I have to recalibrate, readjust and figure out. How do I say this differently? Mm-hmm. How do we get there together? Right? Yeah. And that's kind of, that's a journey for me too, because I've been a, if I were to really look at myself over my, most of my life, I've been a solo, um, character, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And, and even though I've been around people, it's, I think I've been kind of an individual. A one man wolf pack. Kind of. And, go. and I think for me, it's really important and good to be around people who, um, who are like say Julia and, and others to help me understand the benefits and actually how much more growth and how much more positive things will happen as a group, as a collective, as a team. Mm -hmm. So now we move to after. When it was done, what were you feeling immediately after it was done? Was it like, oh, thank God, or I want to do another one? Man, at the end I was, um, I was thinking about next, Mm -hmm. what's next. Um, and I already kind of had a rough idea, even the last couple of days, what was next was I was, but on the last day I wanted to enjoy, hmm. I made it to Victoria and it was probably the strongest I felt like I've, I felt like I could have ran faster on that last day. So I had, uh, I tempered myself a bit, but I, I believe, it, you know, some of that adrenaline and excitement getting to the end was really driving me. Um, and it was, uh, emotional and touching. I didn't, I thought how I may respond at the end. I thought I would have broken down and got super emotional. I didn't, Mm. but it was emotional. I made it to the BC law enforcement memorial in Victoria at the BC legislature. I paid my respects and (laughs) to my surprise, uh, there was about 12, a dozen Victoria police members there waiting to receive me with the chief of police. And that was unexpected for me. Wow. And. I had an inkling that may happen, but to see how they were there and, um, how they received me, man, it was really humbling and it was touching 
correct. And um, and then uh, the news was there, Czech news, they did a little story and the cre- the the cherry on top was when I was kind of, the, the chief uh, Del Manic asked me to kind of give a few words and I was like, man, I'm back. So <laughs> <laughs> I just ran, but I was like, okay, cool. I'll do my best. And then, and so what they ended up doing, we had the, the monument behind me and then they were kind of semicircle around and. I was just saying my thing and I was looking and then to my left, there was a civilian uh, elder fella, maybe in the seventies. And uh, he raised his hand cause he wanted to say something. I was like, yeah, uh, yeah. What's, yeah. what's up bro? <laughs> and man, um, it, it was so awesome to have him there. And I'll explain why. It was like that Pavlov dogs sort of theory, you know, when you get positive reinforcement immediately after something that you've done. Mm. So he was a veteran. Uh, he's also a retired Toronto police service. Um, he had been in the air force in the sixties and seventies, and then he was, um, in the, worked for Toronto and he was diagnosed with complex PTSD based on his service. So you, and based on how he was communicating, I, mean, I, I think there were various other, maybe some issues that may have uh, come up through service. Anyways, having said that. He just wanted to, I mean, I just feel weird just saying this, but, um, he wanted to thank me <laughs> and he was like, uh, like, I can't believe what you just did. Cause he, he was just a random dude walking around and he had saw what was going on and he came up to Julia's vehicle, saw my, the signs on the vehicle and started asking, what is this? What's going on? Mm-hmm. And then she started explaining it to him. And then he was like, what? So then he wanted to come in and say something. And he was just saying, look, I'm, this was my service. This is what happened through my service. Thank you. I cannot believe what you just did. What you just did is super helpful and, and thank you. And I was like, I gave him a hug and I uh, said, no, man, thank you. <laughs> That's awesome. And that for me was the medal that I wanted. That's amazing. Yeah. You know, I, f- I find I'm guilty of this. I will set goals for myself. I'll achieve that goal and I'm already setting the next goal. What you said resonated. You said you wanted to enjoy the moment. You wanted to spend some time to enjoy, to take a time, a moment to celebrate your win. I think that's a really powerful thing. And it's something that I've been disciplining myself on is, okay, recognize when I've reached a certain goal and then find a way to properly celebrate it. Mm -hmm. How did you celebrate? I celebrated it. So I understand like, look, Julia was there the whole time. So she was also, you know, part of the journey. So I wanted her to also enjoy as well. Mm -hmm. So we stayed in Victoria for a day and a half after. And so I wanted her to have some time to enjoy. And I didn't want to be all about my thing. I wanted to kind of do something together, enjoy the weekend kind of thing. But also (laughs) Zach from the Canadian podcast, he, he flew out. And he Did was, he really? Yeah. Awesome. So he flew out to, uh, to receive me as well. <laughs> Good on you, Zach. Yeah. Right. And, um, and so he was there, he, it was a surprise cause Julia had mentioned he was thinking about coming, but he just couldn't make it cause you know, it wasn't, uh, feasible. Mm. So, uh, um, he ended up showing up, he just walked up and he's like, Hey, what's up, bro? And I was like, oh, that's cool. So what ended up happening is, um, we just, me, him, and, uh, another person, I think her name was Rhonda. She showed up as well. And, and we just all went for dinner. Awesome. We just, we just, me, Julia, Zach, and Rhonda, we went out for dinner and, um, I just wanted to just be there, not think about, cause I already had an idea what I was wanting to do. And I knew I would at least need three to four weeks of recovery time. So I'll worry about that later 
today we're in Victoria, man. And we just did a thing. Let's have a nice meal. Let's hang out. And then, uh, we'll move on tomorrow. So at what point did the idea of coaching into your mind? So I've been an, a mentor, a coach in various different capacities for like 20 years, right? Mm. Um, you know, from a bodybuilding perspective, from in the workplace and in, in law enforcement, um, and just in general with what I do, you know, uh, jujitsu and various other things. Mm. So now, having said that, I never thought I was a coach. <laughs> yeah. I never believed in myself to be able to deliver information in a manner that would be receptive to people. Um, but these are all things that were, uh, self-doubts, right, that I've corrected over the last couple of years and really in the last year or so, I feel like, you know, I have a little bit of knowledge and I can share that. So that's one aspect mm -hmm. of why I think I can, why I've entered this sort of um, idea in my head. The other one was like, look, I'm, I work for the federal government and um, I want to be able to continue doing what I'm doing and I want to be able to do it at a faster rate. Mm. And I want to be able to impact as many people as I can. And I want to be able to just do a lot of positive things. So for me, I had to think of a way to remove that safety net. And, uh, for me, I have a safety net and I wanted to think about how do I remove that so I can really freak out and get super uncomfortable and start really growing in another way, not just physically, but from an entrepreneurial, from a mental, from a every perspective that you can imagine mm -hmm. in that space. Mm -hmm. So I thought, okay, what skills do I have and how do I, how do I refine that and how do I create something that can sustain myself so I can continue doing what I'm doing so I can continue doing what I'm doing at a high level and then also, um, help others at the same time. Mm -hmm. So that's where the coaching came into mind. Now, what do I mean by remove the safety net? Well, you know, I'm now going to think about, and well, why would I remove a safety net? Well, because the safety net is just keeping me complacent. I'm receiving money in a certain area and. It's still a net. It's still a net. And you know, the reality is I can, I see, mm, I just see a lot more growth for me doing something else without a net. So this is the thing that really got me excited when you, we were talking before, I was like, let's not talk yeah. about this. We got, we got to record it. Cause I want it to be a genuine reaction. Yeah, yeah. But you said for removing the safety net, you'd be leaving law enforcement. Yeah. Yeah. And in focusing full efforts on coaching, coaching, coaching and training. That's it. That's it. Like, and, and look, and I'm, I want to be able to learn how to be a really good coach through this process as well. And I want to deliver a high level sort of information at a reasonable rate. And I think I, you know, bring value to that. So that's kind of where I'm, I'm, I'm going now. Like, look, this may evolve into something else entirely. I have no clue. Oh, I have, I already have ideas for you. Okay, great. But so, <laughs> but, but I'm just saying like, right, that's the initial sort of entry, right? Yes. And this will evolve and this will change and this will do all kinds of things. I'm sure. Mm. I don't know what it'll look like. And my friend, Sean, kind of, I, I kind of function in some way similar to him, not nearly as close, but in the sense of, um, you know, I set a goal, I have no clarity whatsoever. And I just move down that path until the clarity starts showing up to me. Mm -hmm. and, and so that uncertainty that, um, 
chaos, mm. that all of those things, even though I don't feel good and it sucks, I do my best in that environment, mm. if, if that makes sense. So like for me, I, I don't like this feeling. Mm. <laughs> Where am I going to pay my next bill? I don't like the feeling of, oh, how am I going to do this thing or that thing or that, whatever. It feels uncomfortable, just like anyone else. Mm -hmm. But I know I function well in that space now. Before I didn't really understand that. It just felt uncomfortable. And I don't want to do it. Oh, if, but I, because of the things that I've done and I've entered in environments where um, there's been t tons of uncertainty and I've been successful and I've actually, I've been thriving in those environments. I'm like, oh, I get it. I kind of need that to mm -hmm. really get better as who I am as a person, if that mm -hmm. makes any sense or whatever. <laughs> you know, I think obviously from a physical standpoint, from a physical conditioning, you've had years of other coaches and information and knowledge, and this would be an ultimate life hack for somebody to be able to, I want to do something physical. What, what clothing do I wear? What shoes do I wear? What, what's my diet look like? What's my training schedule? Like those things will just be like top of your head, yeah. super easy for you. Yep. The, I think the biggest transferable skill that you can help people with more than anything would be the mental management process. Mm -hmm. I know we've had Ryan Stacy on here in the past and he's a, what was it? Five, six time, uh, service rifle champion over and over, keeps winning and he attributes it to the mental management process and how that's applicable to sports, to business, to all these different areas. And so many people like you want to play basketball, right? They say, oh, you know, it's uh 90% mental, 10% doing or shooting is 90%. And they come up with these uh, skewed stats. I don't know where they come up with them, but they all seem to recognize how heavy the mental side is. Yet you go see a coach and what do they do? They spend all of their time on the physical sides. And maybe that's because that's an easier quantifiable way for people to, uh, see action from the coach. But I honestly think what you've been learning on the mental management process is something that'll transcend all of those things. And it would be worth a lot of money for people to just life hack that, spend some time with you and go over where they're at right now and say, how would you deal with this such? And what would you do? Um, give me some tips and tricks of how you overcame obstacles, adversity, difficulty. I, th I think that's where the, um, um, uh, I think that's the area where uh, a person could really separate themselves from the I, competition. Look, man, I, I agree a hundred percent. And, um, <clears throat> look, and like you said, the, um, the customizable nutrition, customizable training, all these types of things, easy peasy from in comparison to some other things. Like mm -hmm. I can, I can kind of write those things up decently. Yeah. Uh, you're right. It's the mindset and, and I kind of steal a little bit of Sean's thunder here and, 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 and some of the things that he says and. And I agree with, and I'll just say it too. Um, everything is, when it comes to physical, really anything is 90% mental and 10% mental. Mm. It's all mental. Mm -hmm. Everything is mental. A hundred percent of it's mental. Mm. And the reality, th how I know that is because of through my own lived experience, the things that I've done, and then also the things that I've been, that I've seen other people do think that they've never thought possible and not even anything crazy. So for example, um, I think it was like day 18 or 19, I was in and around the Maple Ridge area running marathons and a couple of friends joined. <clears throat> Actually three of us, it was me, Julia, Travis, 
another buddy, Travis. Yeah. Uh, he's a firefighter in, 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 um, in Surrey. And he I'd also, be okay if people thought that I was up beside you. Yeah, that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> but it was Travis. He, he also has a, he, he has a nice, uh, uh, side gig. He does these awesome Yeti type coolers, but it's called Haruki. Okay. And, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, Travis, he's a Surrey firefighter and his, his partner is, uh, is working to become a counselor. Anyway, so they showed up, right? I'm running 42 kilometers. That's happening. So Julia wanted to run event that day, 22, you know, run 11, then run another 11. She hadn't done that in quite some time. But Ange, who's Travis's partner, wanted to run five. That was her plan. Mm -hmm. And she didn't expect to run anything more, nothing. And when she showed up, I'll go, no, you'll run more. Mm -hmm. She's like, I'm not prepared. It'll be good. Mm. So we ended up running through the process and she, like at the end of it, she ended up running 11, right? Good for her. Yeah. And, but really it was all mindset. Yeah. It wasn't anything had to do with her physical capacity, physical capabilities, zero. Mm. So it was just the right sort of mindset, the right sort of coaching in those small little moments to let her know that, Hey man, you're actually can probably do a lot more. So for example, like, uh, I was speaking to Ian, who's my new client this morning. Mm. He's never run 60 kilometers before he's run a marathon before. But sometimes some people may think I've only done a marathon. I don't know if I can get to that 60. Bro, you run a marathon? 60 is a, a wrap right now. Mm. You could do it right now. Like it's legit. Like yeah. Yeah. hundred percent right now he can yeah. do it. You just slow down? Well, you slow down or it's just the mindset because you've already set a cap on yourself because you can't go more than 42. But if you already run 42, 18 isn't that much more so if, you're, if you're able to manage it. Yeah. Now, if you're talking about speed, well, then that changes it a little bit, mm. but you can still figure that out. The reality is, man, like if you think you can run 10, you can run 21. Hmm. Mm -hmm. Your body's capable of it. I remember heading up, I think it was Wedge Mountain on this one. Jay Spud, he's doing his ACMG mountain guide process. He's Vancouver Fire, ex-British Army. And um, I'm like, oh my God, why are we going up this mountain so slowly? It was like step, step. We got our packs and our Mm. gear and axes and... um, ice screws and ropes and everything that we have, we're coming up to the, uh, uh, the base camp. But before you know it, I was at the base camp. I didn't get winded once. I wasn't sweating. I was like, right as rain. I'm like, man, I'm, I'm good to go. Get a couple hours of sleep, get an Alpine start, get up this mountain. And it's just finding that pace. I find going with somebody who's experienced enough, like I would go up and like, okay, let's go. And I'd be huffing it up the mountain and wheezing and and feeling it, but not being in the front so no one could see. Right? Well, that's the, I think that's the point of the coach, right? Right. And that's the point of the mentor, whatever term you want to give that person hmm. is their job is to observe the person who's trying to achieve the thing and help them or facilitate them to achieve the thing. And it was so easy. Yeah. It was so damn easy when you're with somebody and he's, you know, he practices his, the, the guide pace. He knows the pitch, the distance, the, all, all the rest. And it was what I thought was like, why are we going so slow? So you can get there. Right. And, and here's the thing too, man, like when you're doing something on your own, that adds to the mental bandwidth and the stress. So that also adds to the fatigue and exhaustion during the process. Cause you're uncertain of how to tackle it. Mm. But if you're prepared in advance and you have an understanding of what you're tackling, all those stressors start reducing, even if you are alone, because mm-hmm. now you understand it. And then look, you've probably done a ton of hikes and a lot of them that are difficult on different camps and all these things. So you have that to fall back upon. 
mm. because you've done other things that are more difficult. And, right. And as soon as you can realize that, then the thing that you're currently in, this, even though it is difficult, it's not going to kill you. Mm. And if it's not going to kill you, well, what's the problem? That's right. <laughs> Let's keep going. <laughs> right? Let's keep going. Yeah. Have you spoken about this on the collective yet? The, no, um, no, no, not yet. No, they, I haven't really, you're the first person that I've spoken to like in this kind of yeah. environment. I think I posted it on my Instagram, um, and you know, people have liked it and, and yeah. what, whatever else, but, um, no, I haven't spoken <laughs> at all. Wow. There you go. Breaking. Yeah. Breaking, breaking news, news, man. Breaking news. There you go. It's, it's actually been over the last six days. Yeah. What day is it today? Thursday? It's been seven days since I've actually thought about this. So as soon as I got back, I was thinking about what to do how to do it, how to gr do all the things that I want to do. Mm -hmm. And it requires me to remove a safety net, enter in a space where I love to be. I want to be able to see people grow. Mm. I want to see people do awesome stuff. And, I, and even if it's awesome for them, it doesn't have to be my, whatever I think is awesome. Whatever's awesome for them, man. I, I get stoked at seeing people, um, achieve their goals and then see what's possible for them. And that, that kind of pumps me up. Yeah. I think that's really cool. I know like Seb, he removed a safety net. He's working on, on, on something as well. And there's, there's always going to be that challenge, right? You're doing something brand new. He has no, uh, limit that I can see to the amount of inspiration and the amount of knowledge that he can share with people. It's awesome. Oh yeah. Uh, it's massive, but breaking out into a brand new realm, he's very fortunate to be surrounded by other savages in the industry who have traveled similar paths of being an entrepreneur and can, can share their thoughts and their ideas. Um, do you have that? Do you have those sort of, uh, connections and resources? I, I do now. Yeah. <laughs> Over the last few years, because I've been doing things that are positive. I've been creating a life that, um, that may, like I was talking about when the Chad Wright example, mm. the mentor thing, Yeah, you got to put yourself in an environment where people start turning around saying, oh, what's going on over there? Okay. And then now I can maybe, um, contact someone saying, Hey, this is what I'm doing. And they're like, yeah, let, tell me more. But if I hadn't done certain things and if I hadn't entered in the arena, mm. so to speak, was it Teddy Roosevelt? Yeah. The man in the arena. Yeah. So if I hadn't entered the arena then no one would, like, I would have no connections. So, you know, I was sponsored by a company called Magnum Supplements. Yeah. I see the shirt. Yeah. Awesome. Oh yeah, that's right. Yes. Uh, um, I just picked it up and also Lululemon. I'm also a Lululemon run ambassador and I was signed the contract last year. Good for you. Yeah. So now I am, I'm, I'm, um, basically an ambassador for that company in the run capacity, which adds another level of, uh, mm, support I can give other people in, in that regard. Anyway, so having said that, um. Oh shoot, I lost my train of thought. What was I saying? It happens. It happens. Yeah. I'm too busy writing these things down as you're, uh, as you're talking. But, uh, but in terms of the, the coaching piece, um, yeah, I just started thinking about it and I think, you know, I thought, let's see what happens. And, oh, you were saying the connections. Yes. So the connection pieces. So Marcus, uh, he was, he, he, I think he may have just recently sold the company, but I think he's still a good friend of mine. And so I hit him up and, yeah. and I was like, Hey man, so I'm thinking about doing this thing. Do you know anyone that can kind of point me in the right direction of how to kind of administratively and logistically kind of help me start this? Mm -hmm. And so he pointed me in the right direction. And now I'm working with a company that's going to help support at least the beginning parts of me understanding how to properly do this 
and the company's called uh, TRM. It's based out east. And what they do is basically help fitness professionals and coaches and scale their business so that they can be self-sufficient at home without having to work in a gym and, and things like that. So I'm, I'm working with this company now to really help me understand sales mm. and help me understand how to properly value what I'm doing. Because mm. these are things I would just, I've been doing it anyways for free for people. Totally. Like I've been just help. like I, I have another buddy of mine based out East. Uh, he's, uh, he's currently in the reserves. He's also a lawyer. Um, he was struggling himself with mental health issues and, and, um, his wife, um, passed away not too long ago. So he was dealing with a lot of that and, and depression and he ended up gaining a ton of weight and in excess of 300 pounds. And so I, I met with him, you know, just through social media and we connected and I think last year and, and we just had conversations and then. Earlier this year, I kind of helped him out by putting him on a, on a bit of a plan and he's already down, you know, 45 pounds. And, and now I've, uh, hit him up again to say, you know what, let's, let's make this more of a structure so we can get you really picking up the pace a little bit more. So, you know, people like that have been helping with just anyways. So I thought, you know, let's continue helping and like, I'm not looking to look, I mean, anybody who wants you know, support and, and whatever endeavor they're trying to do, great. But I want to work with certain types of people mm. and people who are passionate and people who want to achieve something for themselves yep. and for people around them. So, you know, if if it's in that sort of space, then I'm cool with it. If it's someone who wants to, you know, maybe doesn't have that sort of way of thinking, then, you know, maybe I'll pass. But I want to work with certain types of people and I want to see if I can help in that way. And And really, to be honest, those types of people help me. Mm -hmm. and helps me become a better person and it helps me learn how to become a better coach. Cause now if I'm going to be doing this, I want to be good at it. Totally. And it's a new space for me. So I have to understand the nuances associated to it. So now I'm learning a new thing. Yeah. <laughs> have you thought about writing a book? Uh, these, th look, I've thought of a ton of things, bro. Um, and they're all on the docket. It's just a matter of when's the right time to do these things. And, and, um, there is a time and place for all these things. And I think. Perhaps after a couple more years, that'll happen. You know, I, I would think if the, uh, the desire is there, you've been documenting the process anyways, speaking into your, your phone or into a microphone or whatever, and having that transcribed through Descript, thrown into a PDF, uploaded to AI, yeah. get, get the bones of the, of a book together and then a, a lecture circuit where you, uh, say the same same four or five things over and over, but people will come back cause they'll hear it in a different way. They'll learn different things from there. And I would think that that would, um, from my standpoint, looking at you, it looks like the natural progression yeah. is kind of where you're going. I agree, man. And that's kind of been, um, my thought process even over a year ago, right? Yeah. Like my ideas have been, um, I don't, I think if you're tracking and you're paying attention to what I'm doing, you can kind of see where the end result will be for me, at least in terms of what I will do on a regular basis. Uh, I just want to speak to people, share my experiences. If that helps someone, cool. Um, you know, I was talking to another friend of mine yesterday actually, and, and he lives in the Langley area. And um, he notices in the Indo-Canadian community, the younger kids are, you know, in that community specifically are dealing with some issues as sure. it relates to drugs and yeah. gangs and, and things of that nature. And so he's looking at starting up a, a boys club in the Surrey area and the Newton area and places like that. And, you know, 
I was also volunteering at the Boy, East End Boys Club, and, and I would kind of speak there a little bit. So just sharing some of my experience, if that helps some kids, then yeah, I'll do that too. But um, but I think, to your point, I can see that eventually happening to a certain degree where I'm traveling around and having a chat every now and then. What an amazing lifestyle. Would, and you're, and you're building it for yourself, just one brick at a time. Yeah, I think so. I think it's, it's been organic too. It's not like, oh, I want to be a coach and I want to do sure. that. It's just been organic and it's just been, you know, it's been very organic. I'm still not going to change any of the running goals that I have. And really that really will actually help complete what I'm trying to do in terms of like, uh, how do I want to serve even after I'm not physically capable of doing certain types of things? I want to still serve. Mm-hmm. I still want to be helpful. That's never going to change. So I'm thinking also succession planning for myself, right? Like in mm-hmm. 10 years, what do I want to be doing? Because in 10 years, maybe I'm not running. Maybe I want to, maybe I have a podcast. Maybe, maybe I'm speaking in, on a TED talk. I don't know. I could see that. Right? I see that in your future. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, and thank you. I appreciate it. And the, 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 vote of confidence that I've been getting from people that I respect is, is, uh, very helpful for me. Mm-hmm. And, um, but I know it's also a negative thing for me because I've always been a person of seeking external validation. And now at the place I'm at now, I don't seek it as much because, hear, yeah. because I've built a bit of it in myself now. So I believe in myself, whereas I don't seek out that external much any, as much anymore, but I still kind of, I still kind of reach for it every now and then. Well, I think the, and and I get it, I get, you know, seeking external validation and and looking at these things because I'm like, I'll look at the charts and how the podcast is doing and, and where things are at, not because I'm looking for that external validation, but because I look at it as a metric to where I was, where I'm going, am I bringing value to the guests? Am I being, bringing value to the audience? Um, I see you as being able to do a Ted talk right now, honestly, we've had Ted talk alumni on the silver core podcast in the past. Uh, it, I, I view this as you saying it's only 18 kilometers more, right? You've already done this. You've talked here. Yeah. You can do the extra 18 kilometers. That's not a problem. Well, you know what? And then now that you've planted that seed in my head, now maybe it'll start growing and we'll start thinking about it and start actioning things. Cause you know, I do have time for now in terms of organizing and planning and writing and, and thinking and reflecting over the last 22, 30 days. And to your point actually about the, the reach and you know, this was kind of a uh, interesting thing for me to see and to track the metrics of my social media actually. And just based on Instagram alone. And, and for me, I can only com- uh, look at my metrics compared to my previous metrics. I don't mm. know anyone else's metrics. Right. right? They're irrelevant. They're, yeah. So for me, I just look at mine yes. and, and it helps me understand, oh wait, people are resonating now because like I don't have a huge social media platform, you know, in and around 4,000 on my Instagram. Mm-hmm. And, uh, in the month of August, based on the run, an additional over 500 followers started following in August. Wow. And it's not like I didn't pay for that. It's just natural people coming to my account and starting to follow based on what I'm doing. So that tells me that people think what I'm doing is, um, important and it's resonating with them. Well, you're bringing them value. Yeah. It seems that way. Right. And you're sharing, they're sharing that with others. Cause mm-hmm. they said, this brings me value. Watch this guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so that one metric, I was like, holy moly. So th- I started really opening up my Instagram, uh, over the last 
really in the month of August and really the last few weeks. And it re reached a peak of <laughs> in accounts engaged, 46,000. Holy crow. Yeah. And, and, and really pretty much for most of that 22 days. And that, so when I started really diving deeper into that, then I started seeing like, oh, wow, everyone's sharing it. Mm -hmm. A ton of people are sharing it. And then, uh, so it was a lot of people that, obviously I only have 4,000 followers. So where do the other 40,000 people come from, right? <laughs> so there's people sharing it. And um, so that got me thinking, wow, that's pretty cool. So I was just looking and then over close to 300,000 impressions. And so anyways, not, so why am I saying that? It's the reason why I'm saying it is it helps me understand, okay, I'm on the right path. I'm doing the right things. Mm -hmm. I'm... Now I just have to do it better. And that's, that's kind of what I'm thinking. But it, you know, it also speaks to the power of, of just the masses of everybody out there who's watching, who says, I, I find value in this, what I'm listening to. I want to share what Sachin is saying. Mm -hmm. Um, and what a huge difference that makes when people will share, subscribe, mm -hmm. leave comments. They don't necessarily have to do anything and leave money. Money's great. Mm -hmm. That's fantastic. But those simple pieces are what's going to change. There's a guy over in Ireland, um, King of Chemo. Have you yes, heard of him? Yes, 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 yes. He's doing the exact same yeah. thing. And he says, look at you don't have to have money. Uh, my goal is before I die, he's been diagnosed with terminal brain cancer. Before I die, I'm going to try and raise as many eyes on me as possible. The money will come from the large corporations mm -hmm. who will benefit from having those eyes, right? Exactly. And, and he's got, a, what, a, like 2 million people that are he's following got, him he's now? Got, he's got a lot. And, and, and it's been climbing because over the last couple of years, he was in the, you know, maybe like a hundred thousand and yeah. now that's really rising. And, and I think that's awesome, man. And, and that's kind of what I'm tapping into a little bit, right? Cause I understand, again, I understand how I look, I understand how I speak and, you know, I'm kind of doing something kind of fun, right? And it's entertaining <laughs> and I'm meeting with cool people and mm. those cool people are pretty legit and people want to see them too. And so it's just, um, I don't know, I'm just, I'm just having fun. I'm just doing what I like to do. And it seems to be, um, and it seems to be that people are enjoying it with me. Is there anything else we should be talking about before we look at wrapping up? Um, I don't know, man. I just, I'm glad that we had this awesome conversation. We spoke about the 22 and 22, which, um, you know, was awesome. We, oh, we raised in those 22 days, just, uh, just over $16,000 for the Honor House Society. Amazing. Which is phenomenal yeah. and super awesome. And, um, I'm really happy that people were able to find, find it within themselves to donate to the cause. And so I want to say thank you to those people. I want to also say thank you to anyone who's listening to this, who have been following me. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you for the follow. Thank you for the share. Thank you for the comments. And, um, you know, I'm just going to continue doing this. I'm going to continue on this path and continue as, uh, as much as I can to do my best and have fun along the way. Well, Sachin, thanks so much for coming back on the Silver World Podcast. My pleasure, bro. Anytime. Anytime.